Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this worship service. My name is David Salberta, and I'm one of the pastors here at Victoria Christian Reformed Church. Our service this morning is a joyful one. Today we have the opportunity to witness the baptism of Samuel Pierboom. And we also have an opportunity to join with the psalmist in thanking God for the gifts of life and salvation as we ref reflect upon Psalm 65. To begin the service, I invite you to join me in this call to worship. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are tuning in from this morning, know that the Lord is with you and receive his greeting. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you today. Amen. Let's sing.
At, at this time, we have the uh, opportunity to witness and participate in something that is very, very special, and that is the baptism of Samuel Pierboom. Before ascending into heaven, Jesus gathered his disciples to himself, and he commissioned them. And this was the, the mission he commissioned them on. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, he said, this was the promise, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this, mentor, this mission, this commissioning, is just really central to our identity as Christ's body here on earth. We exist to make Jesus known, to love him, to share him, and to grow in our discipleship relationship with him. We do this work trusting that Jesus' ways are the best ways and that there is no better way to live than a discipleship relationship with him. If Rose wants to go to one of the grandparents. Uh, okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. There we go. So baptism is uh, central to this mission. You can just hold her hand. It's fine. Baptism is central to this mission. It's entranceway into life with Christ, the initiation. It's a rich sign that communicates the glorious reality that this person, this child, belongs to Jesus. In baptism, we see and experience this reality of our life with Christ. And we remember that just as water washes away dirt, so too has the blood of Jesus washed away all our sins. It is by grace that we have been saved. And we also remember that our lives are now hid with Christ in God and that those who are baptized into Jesus' name have died with him and have been raised with him. And so we set our sights above where Christ is seated, forsaking the counterfeit goods that the world offers us. In the Reformed tradition, we baptize believers and children because we believe that ever since the beginning that God has graciously included children into his covenant family of disciples. Cherith, would you like to come forward and pour the water for us? Many of you have gone through these waters as well. Remember your identity in Christ. Remember your baptism. So Hillary and Daryl, I'm coming a little closer. That way people who are watching Tomorrow on this, we'll be able to see you and your baby. So Hillary and Daryl, family, today you stand before us having brought your child Samuel to receive the sacrament of baptism. And I ask you therefore before God and his church to answer these questions and so profess your faith. Do you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? We renounce it. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And you promise to instruct this child, Samuel, in the truth of God's word, in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for him, to teach him to pray, and to train them, to train him in Christ's way by your example through worship and in the nurture of this church. What is your answer? We do, God helping us. 
And I've got a question for those who are gathered here and also for those who are watching at home. Um, we raise uh, our children to know God as a community. And so here's, I invite you to respond to this question as well. Do you promise to love, encourage, and support Samuel and this family by teaching them and him the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving this family and Samuel the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service? What is your answer? We do. God helping us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the gift of water. In the beginning of creation, your spirit moved over the waters. In the waters of the flood, you destroyed evil. You led your children, the children of Israel, through the sea into the freedom of the promised land. And in the Jordan River, John baptized our Lord, and your spirit anointed him. By his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ, the living water, frees us from sin and death and opens the way to life everlasting. We thank you, O God, for the gift of baptism. In this water, you confirm to us the truths we need to hear, that we are loved by you and that we are united with your Son. Pour out, pour out your Holy Spirit now so that this water um, may wash Samuel clean and he might receive the new life in Christ. To you be all honor and glory, dominion and power, now and forevermore, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, Samuel. Samuel Perboom. For you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he suffered and died. For you, he was raised again to new life. All this he did for you, though you know nothing of it as yet. We love because God first loved us. Samuel, Peter, Donald Perboom, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to God's cleansed and renewed family. Amen. Please join me in prayer. And we'll pray for this, uh, this young boy and his family. Lord God, forever faithful to your promises, we thank you for assuring us again that you forgive us and receive us as God's children, as children in Christ. Grant wisdom and love to Daryl and Hillary, and to us all as we carry out the vows we have just made. We pray that you would govern this child by your spirit and guide him throughout his life. Help him to see your fatherly goodness, which surrounds us all, and enable him to respond in faith to Jesus Christ, our chief teacher and eternal king. Give him strength, we pray, to fight sin and endure trials, and when Christ return, let him, let him celebrate with all of God's people your greatness and goodness forever and the joy of your new creation. Amen. Amen. So we have a song we sometimes sing at church uh, uh, when the children are being presented to the congregation. And Brittany will sing that song for us uh, on our behalf today. Mm -hmm.
Well, welcome. We welcome Samuel to God's family here at VCRC, and we're so glad with you guys for this this gift of life in your in your family. Yeah. Dear congregation, this summer Brittany and I are going to be preaching the Psalms that are found in the Revised Common Lectionary. The lectionary, for those of you who aren't familiar with that, is a resource um, created for churches to guide their reading of scripture throughout the Christian uh, calendar year. Each Sunday, the lectionary provides us with four different texts for our reflection. There's always an Old Testament lesson, there's a New Testament lesson, there's a selection from the life of Jesus found in the Gospels, and then there's a psalm. So for the next couple weeks and later in August, we'll be, uh, we'll be reflecting on the lectionary psalms in our worship services. And today, the psalm uh, in the lectionary is Psalm 65, which is a hymn of thanksgiving. If you have your Bibles open at home, I invite you to turn to that psalm now. Psalm 65. Hear the word of the Lord. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. O you who hear prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those who choose you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Savior. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Those living far away fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the ear with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, Psalm 65 is a joyful song of praise. It invites us out of ourselves and it calls us to give thanks to the one from whom all blessings flow. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you all vows will be fulfilled. To you all people will come. Praise. Praise awaits you. Praise is due to you. Christians say that word praise a lot. But sometimes it's hard to know exactly what we mean when we say praise or when we sing praise. There's actually a lot of Hebrew words translated praise in the Old Testament. The most common one is halal. It simply means to boast in or to, to rave about. 
to halal God is to talk God up and, and to let everyone around you know just how great he is. Many of you are familiar with uh, the praise song, the halal song, How Great is Our God by Chris Tomlin. This is a great example, I think, of halal. Uh, I'll sing the bridge just so you can remember what it sounds like. Name above all names, you are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. That's praise. That's boasting in God. Some people equate praise with singing, praise songs, we think, which is not a totally wrong assumption to make. Sometimes the best way to praise someone is to write and sing a song about them. But praise does not equal singing. For instance, testifying or boasting about God's work in your life is a great way to praise God. We can praise God in all sorts of ways, um, not just with song. Halal is the most common word for praise in the Old Testament, but it's not the only one. The word used here in Psalm 65 is tehillah. It means laudation, the act of giving laud. It's kind of a funny word we don't use too much anymore. But when I think of laud, I think of applause. I think of celebrating someone and, and, and doing something with your body or your voice to, to shout aloud and to, to give thanks for who they are and, and what they have done. Um, maybe an example can help. I'm thinking of the celebration that took place last year in downtown Toronto after the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. On that day, the team was paraded through the city and they were lifted up and they were celebrated and they were applauded and people shouted and they hollered and, and together the, all the Raptors fans, all the city of Toronto really, they lauded, they gave laudation to the Raptors. They lifted them up and they applauded them. And it's this kind of praise that the psalmist is promising God when the people gather together in Jerusalem. Laudation awaits you our God in Zion. When we get together, we are going to celebrate. We are going to sing. We are going to applaud. We're going to be joyful together and give, it all, give you all the glory. Why? Why will the people give God all the glory and laud and honor when they gather together in Zion? The Raptors received it because they were the best team in the league. What has God done? What is God doing that makes him worthy of our applause? The rest of Psalm 65 really answers that question. And two reasons specifically are highlighted. First, God is due praise because he is the God who forgives sins. And secondly, God is due praise because he is the all-powerful creator and the cosmic gardener. We'll look at each one of these reasons in turn. Regarding forgiveness, I invite you to look at verse 3 and 4 in Psalm 65. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. 
forgiveness, freedom from sin. Sometimes we speak of forgiveness in sort of trivial ways. I mean, in a way, it's the, the Sunday school answer of what Jesus came to do for us. Jesus, Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, that we could have new life with him. And of course, there's a simplistic way to say that, but it is, it is not trivial. It is not just something for Sunday school. This is such an important, important thing. The forgiveness of sins. It is invaluable. Sin is a little like garbage, I think. It, it gathers, it, it piles up, it starts to stink, and we long for it to get taken away. My garbage bin at home right now is filled with a two-week supply of dirty diapers. If I forget to take out the trash, you know, on Wednesday night so that they can pick it up early on Thursday morning, we're going to have some trouble in the next two weeks because there will be two more weeks of dirty diapers to fill up that garbage bin. Well, God is to be praised, the psalmist says, because he is the one who takes out the trash. He covers it over and he whisks it away. When we were overwhelmed by sins, he forgave our transgressions. Kippur is the Hebrew word used, translated forgive in verse 3. It means to to cover over or to, to make atonement for. Perhaps you've heard of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was, in many ways, the, the central festival in the life of the Jewish people. The most, it, was, it was the most important. On that day, a, a priest would come into the temple courts with a, with a live animal, a goat, and then laying hands on that animal, the priest would pray a communal prayer of confession. The reality communicated through this act was that the sin of the people, the sin of those gathered around, was being transferred onto this goat. And then when the prayer was done, the priest would chase the goat out of the temple and deep into the wilderness. The whole event was meant to convey the radical reality that God had removed the sins from his people. That as far as the east is from the west, so far as have I removed your transgressions from you. The gods of the other nations couldn't be counted on to take out the trash, not like the Lord God of Israel. In fact, you could count on the other gods to hold you to account for that sin for the rest of your life. And you'd have to try to make it up to them through acts of devotion or sacrifice or whatever. And so it is today, I think, in a very real way. You know, the backyards of Victorians aren't literally filled with trash, but so many people carry so much dirty weight in their hearts and souls and in their families and communities. We are haunted by memories. We are laid low by guilt, exhausted by trying to atone for our own sins or exhausted by trying to cover it up so other people don't get to know the real us. We hide, we hide, and it's exhausting. There is no greater thing for our bodies, our souls, and for our communities than the forgiveness of sins. For garbage day, the taking out the trash to feel the lightness of being free. All praise be to the one who answers prayer and forgives sins. 
God used the blood of a goat in the Old Testament, but the sacrifice was never final. It was a shadow of, of things to come, and, and the, the final expression of, of that is, is the death of Jesus Christ. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus coming down to the Jordan to be baptized, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was driven out of the city with a cross on his back. The sins of the people transferred to him. He was crucified, the one for the many. Atonement, covering over our sins, whisking them away. And he did so once and for all. Once and for all. And that's not the end of the story. Not only did God in Christ take out the garbage in our lives, but God through Christ has given us the righteousness of Christ through faith. The old has gone, the new has come. We are filled with life in God's holy house. Not only have the bad been taken away, but we've been filled up with the good things, all the good gifts that God has for us. How liberating it is to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, to be brought into his cleansed and redeemed family. All this is ours through faith. Praise awaits you, O God, in Zion. When When we were overwhelmed with sins, you forgave our transgressions. That's the first reason given for why God is due praise in this psalm. The second reason is equally awesome, and that, God, and, and that is that God is both the all-powerful creator and the cosmic gardener. Listen to how this psalm ends. It's so poetic. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. You care for the land and water it. The streams of God are filled with water to revive the people with grain. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty, and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. This psalm is uh, attributed to, to King David. And as I read these words, I imagine him sitting on a hillside uh, in the, the hill country of Judea with his, with his herds. Um, I imagine him looking out over the valley. In the distance, he sees the Jordan River, this clear, crisp, blue water flowing from the Sea of Galilee down into the Dead Sea. All along the river, there are fields of grain, and there are workers out in the fields harvesting, harvesting the wheat. Soon the smell of freshly baked bread will be filling every little town and village in Israel. And after David looks at the river and all the fields down in the valley, he looks up out at the hills, and he sees other shepherds with their flocks. The hills are filled with goats and sheep. It's, it's, uh, it's just this picture of of abundance, of creation filled with life, providing for the, uh, God providing for the people through, through the harvest. 
You know, the ancient Israelites lived and died based on the success of the harvest. This was literally their livelihood. And God had promised them when they entered the land of Canaan, Be my faithful people, and you will never have to worry about the harvest. You will never have to worry about food. Keep the covenant, and I will bless the land. In the abundance of the harvest, David sees the faithfulness of God, and for that, God is to be celebrated. Human, humans plant the seed, but God makes it grow. And of course, we live in different times than King David. But we would still say, I think, and many would say, even non-believers would say, that the world is an exceedingly marvelous, well-put-together place. I mean, the earth in its orbit is the perfect distance away from the sun. Any closer and we'd burn up, any further away and we'd freeze. The seasons come and go, and reliably so. One zucchini uh, seed planted in May will provide your, your family with all the zucchinis you could ever want to eat in July and August. And each, and each of those zucchinis is completely filled with seeds. And so if you took all those seeds out of those zucchinis and planted all those seeds the next year, you'd have enough zucchinis to feed this entire city. Nature is simply charged with life potential. Who should receive the praise when a seed sprouts up from the ground? And when dinner shows up on your plate, who is to be praised? Who brings in the harvest? Can any of us cause the sun to rise? Do we control the rain? We do not. And I know that modern farming techniques are quite sophisticated, and we can grow plants now pretty much pretty well in contained spaces. But at the end of the day, these fundamental elements that we cannot control, like water, sun, seed, and soil, are still necessary to support us and to sustain us. These are things these are things we cannot control. We can manipulate them, but we cannot create them. We can only steward them. God is to be praised for the harvest. God is to be praised because he is the giver of life. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. You forgive us our sins, and you provide us with daily bread. Psalm 65 is a song of praise to the one from whom all blessings flow. And it strikes me that there are many occasions in life when it's easy for us to join in the song and to celebrate God for all these gifts that he has given us. But there is also times where it's hard to see the sovereign hand of God at work. I mean, at the moment, it sometimes feels like our world is coming unglued. On top of the virus, there's a lot of unrest. We also have ecological problems that threaten to undo creation's God-given capacity to produce food. Psalm 65 is a great song to sing at the end of a good year, but can we sing it with integrity in the middle of July of 2020? I think it's important to remember that we live currently in the age of decay. By that I mean that the world is not as it should be. And the earth and our bodies and our communities, they groan under the weight of sin and sin's consequences in the world. 
God is not absent from his world in the age of decay. He still sustains this world in accordance to the covenant he made to Noah long ago. But I think we can all say that while creation is an exceedingly fruitful and wonderful place, it is a far cry from what it could or should be. And we all feel that gap. The good news of the gospel is not only that God forgives us our sins in Christ, but that God is making all things new through Christ. The resurrected Jesus is the first fruits of a world that is not characterized by, by decay or death or disease. The resurrected Jesus is the first fruits of a world that is characterized by life and life abundant in God's presence. God's end game is to rescue the world from the age of decay. His end game is to dwell with us and charge his creation, renew it, charge it with life eternal. God's vision for this is found in many places throughout the Bible. I personally like the picture given to us in Isaiah 25. Hear this word this morning. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. There's the plural. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He, sw he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. This is a picture of life as it is meant to be. Life as God is recreating it to be in Christ. The vineyards are producing wine and God serves it to us. The herds are producing the best of meats and God serves it to us. God is preparing a feast for his people. No more will we suffer in the age of decay. For God will swallow up death forever. The first fruits of the new creation walked out of the grave on Easter Sunday. The completion of the new creation will take place when Jesus returns. Until then, we praise God and we thank him and we applaud him and we shout for joy for all that he has done. Why? Because he forgives us our sins and clothes us with the righteousness of Christ through faith. He provides us with daily bread and he gives us hope for a world without death and decay. Praise awaits you, O God in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. To you all people will come. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Our Creator God and loving Savior, we thank you, Father, for who you are and all the good things we have in relationship with you. We thank you for bringing us into your cleansed and redeemed family and for giving us good things in your holy house. We're so grateful as well, Lord, for your faithfulness to this world, to the seasons, to nature, we see, Lord, evidence of this in our gardens, 
and in the fields surrounding our city. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless the harvest again this year. And in the places we are breaking your covenant, Lord, as people or as a society, we pray that you'd call us to repentance and guide us into a renewed relationship with you for our good and for the world's good. We pray, Lord, that um, the church could be a witness to your new creation in this age of decay. And we pray too, Lord, at the time, at the, when the time is right, that you would bring in your kingdom. We look forward to the feast of heaven and earth. We look forward to, to, to dwelling with you in your renewed creation. Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. Amen. Friends, know today that the Lord, it is the Lord's desire to fill you with the good things in his house. 
desires to take away your sins, release you of your burdens, to feed you at his table. Look around and see the caring hand of God at work in your life. And I know it's hard sometimes, especially in this age of decay. But the Lord is to be praised for all these gifts. And I, I uh, hope that you can find some way to thank him today in your own way. Know that the Lord is with you and he desires to send you out with the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. And all God's people said, Amen.